As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to From the Rookery, a podcast about a life following Watford FC, brought to you by The Athletic. My name is John, with me uh, the, the day after Watford lost uh, 2-1 at home to Queen's Park Rangers, uh, is Mike. Yeah, life as a Watford supporter. What a life it is, eh? What a life it is. What a life. And we'll talk about how that's changed after that uh, performance uh, and also how it might change the future because uh, the transfer window's closed. And to f- tell us more about that and uh, share his opinions is the Watford correspondent for The Athletic, Adam Leventhal. Good afternoon, Adam. Oh, it's lovely to be here, gentlemen. How are we? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, just see a little bit of sarcasm over there. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, so, you know, th- this, this was a game that Watford lost and it was a game that started... Not that I knew we were going to lose the game, but you sort of knew very quickly that things weren't going to be great because you have a team that's been selected where there are missing key players and there are players playing where they don't normally play, not where they're being that they're most effective. And what I found surprising, Mike, with you know you at the game and the, the, it was you were quite mixed in your opinions that were coming through on the WhatsApp group. Are you still mixed about it or is it all more coming come into focus? Look, I mean, it, the, the team was bent out of shape straight away because we didn't have um, Adam Messina, who has looked really, really good at left back. And we didn't have Kiko Firminia, who has been our player of the season by a considerable margin. So you take out those key components and straight away you're, you you have you have question marks about the about the defensive unit and then you see you you look through the the, the team and it looks like Hughes is going to be out on on the left again straight away you're you're worried about the the makeup and the shape of the side when the whistle blew you have concerns just on a on an intensity level really and what you want to see from a team like Watford who's gunning for promotion against a team like QPR who are fighting relegation. Yes, OK, they've, they've turned in some decent away performances. You want to get on the front foot and stamp your authority on the game. And unfortunately for Watford, for probably 
you know, I don't know how many times this has been the case in the, in the season this far, but the majority of games, they just haven't done it. They've started um, lukewarmly at, a, at best. Um, and QPR were absolutely all over Watford from minute one yesterday when it should have been the other way around. I know that you, there is another team trying to do what you're trying to do, it's, so it does make it difficult. But they saw Jeremy and Gakia at left-back. They know he's not a left-back because they kept shouting, "Get you know, right foot, right foot, right foot. He's right-footed, he hasn't got a left foot. And they targeted him with great success. Switch it round and was it Wallace that got booked for the foul on Saar? The left-backs got booked for a foul on Saar. I think, right, there's their weak link now. Someone quick against someone on a booking. Get into it, work, do everything you can to, to exploit that weakness. I don't think Saar touched the ball for, you know, 20 minutes out on that area of the pitch after after that booking. So the, the issue for me is the... The shape, you can't do anything about the defenders being out. If they're, if they're not fit, then they're not fit, so be it. But the, the shape feels wrong. What, you, what are you going to get from that shape? But regardless of all of that, if you don't come out of the blocks with focus and intensity, then you're going to struggle. I watched Charlie Austin and last night buzz around, and he's one of those players you hate to watch as an opposition fan and you must hate to play against. He is there tugging shirts, he's poking people, he's stamping on feet, he's helping people up after a tackle, and then the, the, the pat on the back to say, well done, mate, is that little bit too hard? He's, he's just annoying, he's in your face, he's making runs in behind, he's, he's getting back from offside positions late and then darting again. He's everywhere, he's working hard. And then they're right back. Uh, well, he's certainly playing on the right. Rob Dickey, who incidentally, I, ca- I can't confirm this. I'm pretty sure, and you might have to bleep this, John, they call Rob Dickey <laughs> dead. <laughs> so, it's, so, then, so the number seven I'm, was saying, get me the ball, kid. Get me the ball, kid. And I thought, God, that's a bit harsh. It played quite well. And the, it was Rob Dickey. Uh-huh. Um, so so that, was a, that was a rare bit of uh, uh, brevity. But what happened to him? He got pushed on his backside repeatedly certainly in the second half he was down in front of me in the Sir Elton John stand he got probably fouled a couple of times he got shoulder barged into the hoardings he got knocked about every single time he got up and he literally puffed out his cheeks and and metaphorically rolled his sleeves up and thought I'm just going to get on with this there wasn't any moaning there wasn't any screeching to the ref there wasn't any pushing of the Watford player he got up got on with it and did a job for his side and we need that from 1 to 11 and at the moment, we're not getting it. I think you can talk about shape, but if the intensity and the desire is lacking, which it feels like it is, then, then we're going to have a problem. And and to be honest, the game felt like a carbon copy of virtually every single Watford fixture so far this season. We might have hung on for a 1-0. We might have closed it out. We might not. But that is the story of virtually every game. On a knife edge, but we've never, ever imposed ourselves on an opposition team, regardless of where they are in the league. And it's, it's just so disappointing. And, and I find it bemusing. I find it flabbergasting that, that they seem to be so passive. But Adam, you could have said, you know, rolling up their metaphorical sleeves, because many of them were wearing short sleeves. Was there a point though you saw, you know, maybe early in the second half, where even though we had this unbalanced, this this team that was just a mixture and a muddle, they actually started to be a little bit more productive, you know, towards the end of the first half and, and in the beginning of the second half. Was it just the fact that even though we don't have the, the greatest setup of a team, they just they just tried a bit harder and moved the ball a bit quicker? Yeah, 
I think that's a that's a, a fair comment. But they were doing what they should have been doing in the first place. You know, they were performing to a level that you would expect them to to come out of the blocks playing with. And you know, it's not it's not good enough, is it? You don't expect to to have a game. You know, on TV, there's going to be more people watching. You've got all the incentive you need to to get out there and show people what you're about. And like Mike said, you know, I can't disagree with anything that Mike said there. It was lackluster. It was it was low end and the intensity wasn't there. And then the interesting thing for me, I think when, you know, we look at that game now, the fact that uh, Chisco Munoz came out after the game and, you know, admitted responsibility for it and said, yeah, we, we didn't play with high intensity. It was my mistake. I, I don't quite know why. And almost intimating that he hadn't quite grasped the occasion. And, and that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, you know, it's not an occasion to play at home against Queen's Park Rangers by any stretch of the imagination. But you would have hoped that they would have gone back to the, the first game at QPR, where QPR were a far better footballing side, played Watford pretty much off the park with you know high tempo passing, lots of nice um, triangles, but they didn't have someone who could finish it off for the majority of the game. And they had that one sort of moment of magic from Ilias Cher, um, who, who scored the equaliser after we'd scored really, really early. So we knew that they were going to be a good footballing side and their position was, was pretty false, to be honest, in the table. They've got a good manager, in Mark Warburton. They've got a, a good assistant coach who knows Watford pretty well in John Eustace, and they'd improved their squad as well. So we should have known that this was going to be a tougher test, and everyone should have known that, but no one seemed to be up for it. And I, I'm, I'm absolutely baffled by why it was so bad. And I, I you know, usually, yes, I, I might be a little bit more diplomatic than, than some other people on this podcast, Mike. Um, <laughs> Good day to you. I was really, really disappointed. I, you know, just for, just for background, because I was doing uh, a lot of coverage for The Athletic on, on deadline day, I was at home and I was watching, I was watching from home. And often when you're in the ground, you, and I've said this before, you get a slightly different feel for the game mm. because you can hear the intensity you can hear the shouting but there was there was no doubt watching the game from home from distance and this is what a lot of fans would have seen as well there was a lot of shrugging of shoulders there was a lot of yeah. back chat there was a lot of you know heads going down and a lot of oh that pass should have been here or oh what are you doing you can see it so there's yeah. no point anyone saying any different and yes the 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 personnel that was available was was very, very damaging. Mark Navarro, in my humble opinion, and this isn't a personal thing, but in his footballing ability, he's not up to this level. He doesn't add anything. And when you go from Kiko Femenia down to Mark Navarro, you're really, really going to suffer. And from Adam Messina's point of view, yes, you lose him in terms of his ability as a left back, but also his leadership is massively important. He is yeah. one of the loudest players on the pitch as well. And I feel for Jeremy and Gakia being pulled from one side to another, coming under you know one one head coach who was giving him full of you know giving him confidence and playing him in his right position, then being shifted over to left back. But like Mike said, he sort of came through um, a difficult period and and then pushed on in the game. So it wasn't all bad from his point of view. But there are senior players on that pitch yeah. who should be doing better, far better. And it comes from those senior players. That's where it comes from. And just one other quick one. Will Hughes, do not play Will Hughes on the left-hand side. That's not where he belongs. 
Mm. Do not play him there. Play him in the middle. It's it's simple. It is absolutely 100% simple. Don't yeah. play him on the left-hand side if you've got a winger on the bench. Simple well, as that. What was staggering was he mentioned QPR and their and their improvement, and I think that's that's fair. And it was there for all to see last night. QPR played really well and a hundred percent deserved the win. If any team was going to win it, it deserved to be Queens Park Rangers. And I, I absolutely am not belittling QPR at all. And that that's his his comment about not about underplaying the importance of it is is baffling to me as well. Because if you go through the team sheet, perhaps with the exception of of Mark Navarro. All of them could have a, a, a claim for playing in the Premier League next season, which could in turn lead to, to anything. You know, international call-ups, bigger contracts are a bigger move. The end is in sight for these guys. And despite a, a, a terrible, not a terrible, but despite a very indifferent start, first half of the season, in which none of them um, have shone, really, apart from perhaps Kiko, the Premier League is still there within grasp. We find ourselves three, six points away, two, two decent results away from being in the automatic promotion places. So regardless of who they're playing, regardless if we're at home or away, regardless of how the, the head coach sets us up, regardless of who is injured, the players who take the field need to be just showing more. There is no excuse for it. The opposition is irrelevant. To turn in such an insipid, flat, passive and display is, is mind-boggling when it's like you've got the opportunity for, to, to, for, for your dream job and you turn up at the interview having not had a shower and without a tie on. You know, it's there for you. Go and get it. But you have to get it. You have to work for it. And I don't mind us losing. I don't think any of us do. I don't mind players making mistakes. They all are going to. I make them on a, on a I was going to say hourly basis. I make mistakes <laughs> on a minutely basis. We, we can forgive all of that. What we can't forgive, and I don't think it's, it's not effort in the, in, the, in the basic sense of the word, but the intensity, the levels are absolutely, unquestionably not there. And they need to get that from each other. You know, the, the pre-match, they look better. They look more united. And I've said this a little bit. And, you know, they, they you know, there's, they, before they go in, they all high-five each other. And there's, there's obvious little sort of routines that some of them have. And they look happier in their work, or they certainly have done for the last couple of weeks. And I do think they're having to shake off the hangover and the scarring of the Ivic era when I think the handbrake was, was on, the, the way they were being asked to play was was just incredibly uh, dispiriting for them and us. And I think there is a bit of a hangover from that and they still feel probably a little bit misused and mishandled. But, the, you know, the point you made there about um, Vladimir Ivic and the football that they were playing under Ivic, it's not really changed massively, has no, it? No, it hasn't. It they're hasn't. Still, they're still you know, for want of a better phrase, cocking around with the ball at the back. And there is no path through the centre of midfield. Ishmael Assar, who is a, a very gifted footballer, is he has his best moments when he's outside on the right-hand side and he's running at his mm. full-back. Yeah. He's tucking in too often and you lose the width that he offers. There are so many things that you see in matches and you think... No, 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 this is happening again. It's happening again. Yeah, and you're I just agree. wondering why? Why is it happening again? Why is no one grabbing hold of this? And why is no one making a different um, game plan, a, a plan of action? Because 
it, yes, I understand what you mean about the scarring of the of the Ivich era when everything was slowed down and there was more possession. But there, it was an interesting thing that I saw on social media. I think it was posted this morning, actually. You know, in terms of the the statistics in comparison with with Ivich and Munoz, and effectively, Watford haven't been as effective under Munoz as they were under Ivic in certain metrics. So let's let's be brutally honest about this. Not much has really changed. Yes, no. there is maybe a more simplified formation of, of 4-4-2, but then you go and sort of ruin it by sticking Will Hughes on the left-hand side. I, I said previously, and this is, you know, in my in my defence, I said previously against Stoke, I could understand you know, mm. out of possession, yes, you've got an extra midfielder, you can tuck in, you can be tight, and that seemed to work. But come on, you know, let's let's be bold, let's be brave, let's play Semmer or let's play Zinkernagel, let's try something different. And and one final point on what Munoz said, he was he was basically saying, you know, tomorrow we're gonna have to we're gonna have to change. We, you know, and the intensity hasn't been hasn't been right. There has to be a, a different approach mm. against Coventry. Yeah. If there isn't then, I, you know, I don't want to say it, but you know what I'm going to say. If, if things don't change against Coventry and they turn out another performance like that, then <sighs> two words, two words, and I don't want to, I'm not even going to say it because I don't want to tempt fate. But <laughs> Two letters, no, CV. It, it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say corner flag, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's just some, something, it would, not, it would not surprise me. No, and no would, one can have a go about, about being reactionary and all that sort of stuff because we've got a body of work in front of us that says if it's clear that things aren't working, things happen. And that will just be another deep cut in the whole process. The performances are, you know, there's no way around it. The performances are slightly different shades of grey from the first game of the season to to the the most recent game against QPR. They've all been... occasional good things, but the majority has been just like a big old field full of mulch hasn't it there's been no sort of um incremental improvement there's been no clear direction of travel in terms of how of identity or shape or how we're gonna gonna win a game and 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 it wouldn't be so frustrating if if it wasn't so so obvious like you say adam i think it's melasar is obviously having a very difficult time of it but i said at the time they've got he's got your left back on a on a on a yellow card they they could work out that and gakia isn't left footed so let's let's target him and have the free run of the the right hand side of the pitch for the first half of the first half why can't we work out right ish go and st- get some get stand over there on the right hand side we'll ferret around and get you the ball as much as you can when you get it run forward with it really quickly and if that guy tackles you fall over and he'll probably get sent off <laughs> it's not rocket science and then you watch ken semmer come on who hasn't had a great great run he's obviously been i'm not sure if he's fit but he, he came on and straight away, what did he do? Tried to get to the byline. He beat man after man after man. Um, balls into the box. And we started asking a few questions. Get it wide. Run at your man. Get the ball in. And how often have we seen it from Watford? Once a game? Twice a game? Sometimes when we do it, we score from it. If they can get King Ken on and get him to do it, why can't they get Ismail Assar, the supposed £50 million wonder kid, to do it? Why can't they play him in? And I think it's because I don't think there's 
the intensity? Or is there the footballing intelligence out there to work that out? Is that coming from the sidelines? Is that coming from the senior players on the pitch? I don't know. I think there just needs to be... It, it shouldn't be this difficult to get a tune out of this group of players. I, I, the guy I was speaking to at Opta last night hadn't covered Watford for a, for a, for a while. Um, and I said, oh, it's a bit different these days. And he said, oh, the team is very similar to the Premier League. And it is. These are all players who can play or w- would themselves argue they can play at a level to be utilised incorrectly in the case of uh, of Will Hughes is, is upsetting. And I would say that when both of them came off, when Hughes came off, he looked pretty grumpy, uh, uh, you know, understandably so. He's just sort of turned in a performance, especially after his fight back to get back into the team after after a long issue with with various issues, illness and fitness. He's got back into the side and then he's thinking, right, I can make a difference to this mob and he's being he's being played out wide. And then Jao Pedro's come off and he's completely swerved the, the bench and Andre Gray. There's not even a cursory handshake or whatever. So, you know, even if things aren't going well, you need to see that handshake. You need to see that pat on the backside as they go on because they need to be a team. They need to drag each other up because at the moment, and, and I, I do go on about the league position, ad nauseum because at the end of the day that's the most important thing if we're in the if we're in the automatic promotion places at the last last game of the season and we played terribly but won the majority of the one nil i couldn't give two monkeys because all that matters is we go up we'll worry about the team after that but when it's not happening they, they need to grab each other they need to look to their left and look to their right and think right are you working for me am i working for you and at the moment I don't think they are. I really don't think they are. I think they just need to... I've said it all season. They need to have a look at themselves and decide what they want for themselves and for this club out of this season. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. We're the Orns. You're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! Last night... 
the window was shut. Well, it's pretty cold. It's January. Uh, but my, yeah, Adam, this is one of the busiest times for you. Uh, yesterday, you were busy doing live uh, broadcasts uh, on, on Twitter with all the correspondents from The Athletic uh, to really get that, you know, that, that insight that they, they're all gathering from all their clubs around the country. You know, as, as transfer window, windows go, not just for Watford, it was... It was not a lot of business. Not a lot was done. I think there was only two permanent deals done yesterday. Everything else was was alone. And you know, incoming wise, you know, Watford got Dan Gosling from Bournemouth to add to that mid- midfield. Rob Elliott in just to sort of cover the bases when it comes to goalkeepings with with Ben Foster's long term, well, longish term injury to to his hand, uh, and Philip Zinkenagel who. I think he came in even before the window actually opened. Uh, must have come through the door. But he is there and he, we've started <laughs> to see him a little bit. And we haven't quite seen the, the full-on fill. But outgoing, Etienne Capu, unsurprising. Gerard Delefeu, unsurprising. You know, these are Premier League top players who aren't going to be playing for Watford in the Championship. And, and, and when better things and higher level football comes along, that, that's where they're going to they want, want to go. And there was a few, I suppose, in the last couple of days of, of the window... You know, Domingos Quina out on loan to Granada. That's one down in midfield. That's two down in midfield with Etienne Capu. Glenn Murray, apparently he was on loan at Watford uh, and uh, he's gone uh, over to uh, Nottingham Forest. And James Garner, who we've seen play, who showed some great stuff, but in the last few months, just clearly out of favour. And he's also gone to, to Nottingham Forest. So they're now Udinese. D, is it? I think, I think Sheffield Wednesday were using, using Udinese C. Um, you know, Adam, things were addressed. The big thing that wasn't addressed was, was no striker. Do you think, as, as Gino and you think Scott can look at that business that they've done and happily say, we did all we could do in the circumstances and with what was available for us to, to get hold of? This is a tough one to to pull apart, isn't it? Because I think it's clear to everyone that that Watford's striking options at the moment are not doing what they should be doing. Uh, We know that Andre Gray is going through a horrendous run of form and just looks to be sort of disconnected and and really, really struggling. Troy is obviously, at the moment, uh, in favour and is sort of the first name on the team sheet as captain and, you know, is pitching in with the penalties. But outside of that, Yes, when he's dropping deep, we saw it against Stoke, dropping slightly deeper and playing that quarterback role. Yes, he could play in, you know, Ishmael Assar, and he he can he can do things. He can do things, but it's not quite right for for Troy at the moment. And then you look beyond those two, you have Pedro, who hasn't really managed. And I I don't know if this is a, a two way street or if it's just simply because he is you know still a young kid learning learning the game in in England, but he hasn't really struck up any sort of partnership with anyone that he's he's played with I remember doing a piece early on when when it was him and Sarah up top and that didn't quite work and they were sort of having to play there because uh, there weren't any other strikers available then we saw briefly Stipa Parizza and, and Troy Deeney look as if that could be you know some sort of partnership then there was a sort of a bit of noise about Gray and Deeney maybe having some sort of connection but on the whole I think it is quite apparent that there is something missing I think we can all agree on that so the the problem is then how do you change that if you have big players on big money who aren't performing you're in a very difficult situation because surprise surprise no one else wants them because they cost too much and they're going to be a big hit on the future club's wage bill so you're sort of stuck with them and you have to hope against expectation that things are going to change or you can be brave 
and this is a, maybe a, a costly thing that you would have to do agreeing with a club another club look you know we we need another striker we want to bring in another option can you take x player maybe we can do something on the wages maybe we can contribute a little bit but not quite as much as his full wages but we need him out of the door so we can bring in someone else we've seen other clubs do it and i, I just i was watching after um the the transfer window closed late on uh, monday night I, I turned on sky sports news and i was just looking at other clubs and stuff and and you know arsenal is a great example of Mikel arteta and edu the the sporting director there basically going look we need to clear these players out to help us now but also to essentially prepare us for the next transfer window by clearing away some, um, it's it's not the right phrase to use, but sort of dead wood, right? We, we need to clear these players out because they're not our future. We need to we need to kick on. So you need to be bold in making those decisions, and they did it. And then I saw Aberdeen, just out of out of nowhere, they they seem to have brought in two brand new strikers or three strikers and got rid of three. One went to Shrewsbury, I saw, and then one went to another Scottish club. I don't know my, my Aberdeen players off the top of my head, but I just saw it and I thought, well, other clubs do it. You have to be bold sometimes. And I suppose that's the accusation that can be, can be levelled is that they weren't bold enough because it is clear that the strikers aren't doing it. There is a hope that maybe they can turn the corner, but it is a very thin hope because the body of work in recent weeks and months shows that they're not, they haven't been in any excellent form. Peritza's barely been fit. Gray's barely been scoring. And Dini, uh, you know, however much he is, you know, important to the club, he is only scoring penalties at the moment. Adam, let's take Charlie Austin, for example, last night at, at, QP, at QPR, yeah. you know, sung his praises to a, to a degree. If he comes in at Watford, do, do Watford create enough for him to make an impact? So... For Charlie Austin, substitute a another. I don't know if Vidra came back, for example, or you know Josh King left Bournemouth. If any of those guys came in, you know, there's a there's a range of players, a range of their careers, a range of attainability there. If they come into this side, bearing in mind everything we've said so far in this podcast and previously, do we think, in good conscience, that that these these strikers are going to get the service to actually make a make a difference? Well. No, <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. Well, no, you, no, no, no. I don't. I, you don't know unless you try. You, no, you don't so know. Is it a striker that's, problem, that, or is it just the team not being not creating problem? Because that, that, yeah, that, I understand what you mean. I think it's a combination of the of the two things, but I think one can help lead hmm. to another. Sure. If you know that you have a, a a mobile striker who's going to be on the shoulder of defenders, they know he's going to come short, but also he can go in behind. That scares defenders. Also, if they're pressing hard at pace and they are fearing that they're going to actually catch them rather than almost just paying lip service to this press and you're just sort of running around with a little bit of intensity but with no real intention to get to the ball, like we saw with Tom Cleverley, for example, when he chased down the goalkeeper. I can't remember what the game was when, when we won the won the game and the, the ball went in. It was against Huddersfield, I think Huddersfield, it was. Yeah. You know, chase the ball down. That sort of intensity, that sort of press, that's what you want to see. But if defenders don't have that up against them, then they can deal with it all day long. They're not really that bothered. And to be honest, if, you, if you're playing against Watford at the moment, you know that, that Troy Deeney is going to be a handful, potentially, in aerial duels, but he's not been winning as many as he, as he used to. 
I have to say. I, I've been a little bit sort of underwhelmed sometimes by the amount of flick-ons that he does or doesn't get. Right. Mm-hmm. I think he's very crafty and can be clever with his headers, which hasn't gone away. And it's almost like he can pass the ball with his head, which is something that is that is still of use and he can quickly shift a ball. But, you know, there was one example with Charlie Austin last night. I think he was over on the on the left, the QPR's left. And he, he was on and he spun and just passed the ball way out to to their right to set off a a counter-attack on the right-hand side. And it was just that quickness of sharpness. And that's from Charlie Austin. I mean, let's not forget, you know, we've seen some great strikers like um, Ivan Toney, who I was singing the praises of when he came to to Brentford. I wanted to sort of go up and get his autograph. I was that impressed by him. You know, he was fantastic. (laughs) And you just thought, we've seen other strikers come into other clubs and make a difference. Watford needed that. And look, they did try... They were interested in trying to get Matej Vidra back, but Burnley only wanted to sell. Watford only could do a loan. And Burnley lost Chris Wood the day before deadline day as well, which meant that they were really, really not going to let him go. Um, They looked at other options, but it's just trying to make things fit when you've got these (laughs) players that are sort of drawing so much cash and aren't attractive to anyone else. If they could shift out some of the players then they would do, but they can't because no one wants them. That's no. the problem. Is, so, you know, I mentioned Josh difficult. King. And Josh King, Adam, and you know there was Fulham and Everton uh, fighting over him, if you like. They were both interested in taking him. Now, obviously, he's got a good, reasonable track record. He scored goals for Bournemouth in the Premier League, and I don't think it can be disputed. He's a, he's a decent striker. This season, he's, he's made 12 appearances and scored no goals, though. So his, his current form is questionable. The fact that two Premier League sides, probably three, I think, at one stage were were in for him, does that show perhaps what is available though? Because you talk about the the, the situation that Watford are in is very difficult, and we shouldn't. We, should, you know, I don't want to be an apologist because I think you know we've we've you've heard my frustrations about the side, and and something does need to change, but. You, we can't just leave, as we've said before, Andre Gray by the side of the road and start not paying his wages. You know, the, the, everything is, is, is real and has to be dealt with. And so we, we're, we're obviously in, in have financial constraints that, that if you read between the lines, are, are evident. And then there's, an, there's, so there's two things for me, availability and attainability. So A, the player has got to be available. Mate Vidra, evidently not, because Burnley needed two replacements if they were going to let him go. So he's not available. One other I talk, thought about and was, was mentioned on social media was perhaps Dwight Gale, for example, someone not getting a, a getting a look in at Newcastle and might be keen to, to move elsewhere. So potentially available, but is he attainable? Does he want to drop down to the Championship? What are his wages like, bearing in mind what we already know about Watford's um, Watford's um, situation financially. So that double A test, that availability and attainability criteria, when it comes to strikers in January, it's probably you know a high bar already. When it comes to a January transfer window, when you know against the backdrop of all this economic uncertainty and the pandemic and so on and so forth, presumably even harder. Or am I just being lame and making excuses for the for for Gino and Scott? Were these attainable? But they to be attainable. They just would cost a lot of money, and that's just that. That's just for me. That's the the, the number one factor. I think Watford as a as a as a club. So that means they're not attainable for us, though, John. That's yeah, what but I mean. but yeah. So I think the first one about would they want to come here? Yes, if they want to get some games, they want to come and play at a club that is up near the top of the championship. 
has great facilities, has a reputation. It's all about the attainability and it's the financial thing is has just got to be the biggest constraint that the that Gino and Scott had in terms of going out there and fixing the problems they wanted. Yeah, I think that that, that is the big driver and it's involved with the players that you have and the players that you want. But also, if you look at what happened in the summer when they brought in Glenn Murray and they were expecting Troy Deeney to leave, they they had sort of recent examples of paying money to people to sit in the stands. So to bring someone in who wasn't necessarily going to be first choice, they were probably thinking, right, well, if, he, if he's not really going to be any better, then do we take the risk? I'm not saying that that is the right approach. And I'm not saying that that's exactly how they approached it because they were trying, you know, that they would have thought, right, if we can get someone that is better than Andre Gray, well, let's go and get him. But they couldn't. And that's the problem. For example, though, that the problem, the problem that I see is that, yes, you can keep banging your head against the wall and you can keep trying to hope that it is going to turn. Or you can actually go, as I would sort of remember in the past, I, I might be sort of rose tinted but just sort of thinking about oh let's give you know let's give um brit sombolonga a go or let's give david Connolly a go let's give a kid a go why not bring on joseph hungbo for example yesterday rather than andre gray try something different when he came on against manchester united within a couple of minutes he'd, he'd cut inside had a shot and it was needed to be saved we haven't really seen that from from andre gray so try something different and, you know, and that's what I mean. I go back to the, the, the previous point um, when I was saying that, you know, something needs to change against Coventry. They need to try something different. They have to, you know, because this isn't working. It's just not working. Perhaps one of the things that we could try different, Ad, is, is one of the players that did come in and there was a lot of excitement about him initially. Philip Zinkenagel, and that, that that excitement seems to have faded because yeah. he just can't seem to get on the pitch. Now, in our WhatsApp group, we've sort of been trying to work out why that might be. And, of course, he's, his club football has been played in, in Scandinavia, hasn't it, where it's all, all, almost exclusively or is exclusively plastic pitches. Are we sort of getting too granular in our, trying to work out why he's not playing? Could that be an issue, that he's not able to sort of make the, the, the transfer from, from Astro to grass easily. I mean, he seems to be, you know, we've, we've asked about, we've, uh, you know, asked about would a new striker be any use because we don't create anything. Well, Zinkenagel looks like he's got, you know, twinkle toes and looks like he might be able to pick a pass. He's, his record when it comes to assists is, is pretty good and he can pop up with him himself. The fact that he came on for, what, a handful of minutes at the end of a game last night when we were evidently struggling and he's got nowhere near the starting eleven. So he's a player that we did bring in, we managed to get over the line, but he's not, not featuring. What, what's going on there? I really don't know. And I think you have to go back to, um, you know, the team selections... And that has to come down to Shisco Munoz, because if he's putting Will Hughes out on the left-hand side um, instead of picking a natural winger in, in Ken Semmer, then you have to question what is he seeing in terms of Philip Zinkenagel and is he making the right call on it? It might be that in training he's, he's appalling. But from everything I've sort of read and I've heard from from other people and the sort of the the model professional that he is, I find that very very hard to believe. Um, 
And I would have thought his expectation was, with all these other clubs that were interested in him, not sort of top-tier clubs in the Premier League, but but other clubs um, in the Premier League and around Europe as well, that his expectations would have been that he was going to be playing. So that's that goes back to to the fact that they need to try something different to accommodate these players that might offer the team something different. So, for example, you could, you could, for sake of argument, play Ismail Assar either as a, as a partner to, to Troy Deeney to, to have something different. We saw it work well, and that could be sort of more, um, more of a repetitive thing like we saw against Stoke. Have him through the middle, see what he does. Or play him as, a, as just a central striker and play Ken Semmer on one side and, and Philip Zinkenagel on the other. Or play, you know, João Pedro in the middle with, with Saar on one side and Zinkenagel on the other or Semmer on the other side. Try something different because what's happening at the moment, it, it's, not, it's not working and it's not allowing Watford to impose themselves on games. And, you know, this might, there might be football technicians that are listening to it and going, it just clearly doesn't understand the game. But I've watched every game that Watford have played for the last two seasons. And this season in particular, there, there, is, no, there is nothing, you know, there, there, is, there, is, there is no connectivity between what they seemingly want to do when they have the ball at the back to being able to then keep the ball in the attacking third and, and have phases of play where the other team can't get out of their own half. It doesn't seem to be happening. So they need to change things. And, you know, going back to the original point, the transfer window, yes, they have made these additions and we don't know what um, Gosling is going to add in, in the midfield. But, you know, I'm trying to work it out now because if you're, if you're almost fixated on playing Tom Cleverley and Nathaniel Shalabar, and you don't think that Will Hughes is better than either of those players in the middle, then where is Dan Gosling going to play? Is he just going to be back up to, to them or, or what? We'll find out. We'll see and we'll see what he adds. But I'm just pretty sort of confused. And I would have thought that a lot of the fans out there are, are pretty disillusioned. And I understand that. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. Of course, we want to find out a bit more about Dan Gosling. Yeah, we've watched him. He's played against Watford for a couple of years now. I don't you remember we play games against Bournemouth and they're mm. quite fruity. Uh, and we got in touch with uh, Peter Rutzler, who is the uh, athletic correspondent for, uh, for Fulham. But last year he was covering Bournemouth and still keeps an eye on what's going on down there on the South Coast. Uh, and Mike spoke to him the other day to find out what we might be getting from our new signing. Peter, can you tell me or tell us how this will have come about? Why has he left Bournemouth to start with? He's sort of fallen down the pecking order a little bit. He's not made too many appearances. I think his last start was in late November at, at Rotherham. There's been strong competition in, in that area. Philip Billing, Lewis Cook, uh, Jefferson Lerma, and of course Jack Wilshire, who was signed permanently after being on, on trial. Now, there was interest in Dan Gosling because, you know, I think he's only made seven starts and from across the championship. I think once, once the Wilshire signing came in, the question was asked. And, and from, from Gosling's perspective, you know, he's been there for, for quite a while. You know, he wanted to help fight, take the club back into the Premier League, you know, sort of right that, that sort of wrong. You know, he's been there for, for six years. He's, he's been a key part of the, of the squad, of the club in, in the dressing room. And that was sort of his thinking. And there was an offer that, was, that came out about from Nottingham Forest, which he turned down. But then... After, after that, Bournemouth signed Ben Pearson from Preston North End uh, and suddenly those first team opportunities looked even, even slimmer. He had six months left on his contract. So for him, it was a, it was a case of you know, looking ahead for the future. And you know, when, there is, when there is significant interest from, from upwardly mobile clubs, 
who were able to offer him a, a good contract as well. It's you know it, it sort of changes the the situation for him, and you know coming to Watford is, is a great move for him, and you know he will be an asset to. To, to you guys at Vicarage Road. We'll talk about his on-field attributes in a minute, Peter, if that's all right. But I think one thing that perhaps Watford supporters have felt the team have have missed a little bit is a bit of experience, a bit of leadership. They've obviously got Troy Deeney as, as a captain who's very vocal. Ben Foster's injured at the moment, but he's he's very vocal uh, in goal there. But in terms of, you know, real leaders, real people that perhaps know their way around the league a little bit, they might be lacking a little bit. Do you think that's that's something that Dan Gosling might, might bring to the club? What, what will he be like in and around the the training ground and in the dressing room he'll be exactly that you know he's in terms of championship know-how he's been there and done that for getting getting into the Premier League he's had Premier League experience too in terms of his character he's a really bubbly guy he's a really really outgoing guy will be a big big presence in in the dressing room and I think that's something that Bournemouth will miss actually now that he has left you know he's He's been a part of that old guard there who helped get the club into the Premier League. And his sort of style of play, he's quite a blood and thunder sort of player, mm-hmm. plenty of energy, lots of running. And that's reflected in his personality too. So um, the fact that he's, you know, that if that's something that Watford are looking for, then, then, then Dan Gosling absolutely fits that bill. There is that relationship between Watford and Bournemouth. And, and Watford supporters would, would perhaps argue that over the years, Bournemouth have certainly known how to, how should we put it, how to play the game if that makes sense. Um, do you think that might be something that, that Dan Gosling might bring to Watford, a little bit of championship know-how? I'm not going to go so far as to say the dark arts, but do you, you know what I mean, sort of having a word with the ref here and there, just knowing how to get things done. And do you think that sort of experience with Bournemouth in particular might be uh, might have been attractive for, for Watford? Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's, a, he's a streetwise character, as you said. Mm. He's been there and done it. He's He will be very vocal. You will hear him. He will be a big presence trying to uh, G up his teammates. And, you know, that's one of the, the traits about Bournemouth over the Premier League period. You know, they were lauded for some attractive football at times, but also there was a steeliness to them. You know, they knew how to, to get results. They knew how to try and, you know... <laughs> further every fine margin and 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 Gosling will will know that he, he, he that's sort of in his his DNA and his makeup and you know his 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 energy that he brings as a player in midfield you know that applies for all aspects of his game really and you know when when he came in last year you know it was very difficult a very difficult period he'd been out with a with a hip injury uh, and then came back just before the winter time and um, Bournemouth had just started to go off kilter and you know his energy in big moments has been really really important Uh, he scored a a vital goal away at Stamford Bridge for a crucial win where Bournemouth were just struggling with so many injuries and you know he came into the side and, and gave them such a lift and um, being able to do that, especially in the championship when the when the promotion race is so tight, you know he you know he can definitely he will definitely help Watford and just give some give them something different. You mentioned energy a couple of times there, and that's that's quite exciting. That's something that that we want to see, obviously in in a player. It's we're recording this on on Monday. It's his birthday today. He's thirty one. Do you think that, I mean, there might be a few eyebrows raised amongst some Watford supporters, you know, we talk about being all action, lots of energy. Should Watford supporters be concerned about, about that? I think he is entering the sort of the later stage of his career. And I mentioned that at the start about how, you know, he's, he's, he's looking out for himself in terms of trying to get that, that next contract and, 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 you know, what is a really uncertain time. But in terms of his, what it means for his attributes, I think yeah, you could easily make a question of that. I think from, from Bournemouth's perspective and in terms of the midfielders they have in that, in that squad, what Gosling doesn't quite offer the same technical quality, I don't think. I think that would be fair to say in, in, in terms of a Lewis Cook or, or a Jefferson Lerma. Um, and, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how, how much of his energetic game he can, can sustain. Now, there's not been any sort of sign that 
that was you know that there had been any change in that front you know he's, he's a player who's highly highly professional really does look after himself he's the kind of character you want really to especially for younger players and around him to to look up to and you know that's sort of been the ethos of what has sort of propelled Bournemouth really and during their five years in the Premier League was having characters like that who, who looked after themselves knew how to live in a professional way and, and play the game with with uh, a maximum intensity and I, I don't think that will change um, in terms of what he can bring on the field I think that that, that could change you know towards the end of his, his, his time at Watford but um, for sure you know that those are the qualities probably that, that, that Watford are looking at and, and want to bring in. And there, there might be some Watford supporters who perhaps understandably feel pretty underwhelmed um, and you know we've, we've lost players like Etienne Capu or perhaps a sense of, of, of some Watford supporters being slightly underwhelmed by by this sort of signing what would you what would you say to to people who feel like that i can i can see why you know if he's seen as the sort of kapu replacement you, you would feel a little sort of underwhelmed you know he's not come in for for big money or anything like that but in terms of the task at hand right now for watford he's, he's probably exactly what you need i mean you, you talked about it yourself just there about what 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 they're looking for and that's what he'll bring and sometimes those sort of players can really make the difference and you have a player there who you know, knows how to win games. He knows how to get out of the championship, um, and he's been part of what has been a really successful setup for the past past five years. So, um, you know, the, I think the I think his off field, what he brings off field, is just as important as what he brings on it. But that's not taken away from his influence. You know, he he's box to box. What one of the things that really stood out for him last year, and one of the issues Bournemouth had was the fact that they didn't bring too many goals from their midfielders. Um, Gosling came into the side and did that. You know, he was able to get into to make late runs into the box, as well as being everywhere. That was <laughs> sort of his trademark. You know, he would always be uh, covering both sides of the game, and that's what you get in, in terms of a midfielder. And that that can only be a lift, especially with, with the promotion promotion fight. Yeah, I think he scored two goals this season in limited appearances, which is more than some of our uh, strikers. So perhaps a, a glimmer of hope there. Just just on a slightly wider theme, Peter, in terms of. You know, Watford supporters feeling underwhelmed. There's a there's an uncertainty at Watford, and a, a, a sort of slight um, restlessness amongst the the fan base, who who's, who look around and feel like other teams are strengthening, and and Watford aren't. It's almost like their other teams are flourishing in the in the transfer market, whereas Watford are a bit reluctant to. To, to, to spend money or to or to sign players. Now I know you're not focused as much on Bournemouth now, but what's the feeling? From what you've seen, sort of Bournemouth are in a similar situation to Watford. Obviously, they've been relegated, um, and and Ben Pearson is a is a is a signing that caught a lot of eyes at, at, amongst Watford supporters as perhaps someone that we could, Watford could have gone in for. Are clubs struggling in the main? Do you think in this transfer market, or is it just or are some clubs feeling it keener than, than others? I mean, speaking more more broadly, it's been a really really difficult market. You know, I was speaking to the other week and he was saying you know they're looking at business about 20 percent of what was done this time last year in january so everything is has come a long way down the comparison with Bournemouth is interesting i mean ben pearson you know is, was a player that's been widely admired and i think they feel very pleased to to have signed him they do have a lot of quality in those midfield areas now and for them they're looking at it and i think it's it's, it's so so important that they go back up you know it's the same of course with, with the pandemic and the, the financial implications for every club but for Bournemouth, it, it does feel acutely important considering the players that they have. You know, the likes of, of David Brooks, Lewis Cook, uh, Dom Solanke. I mean, Josh, Joshua King, as, as I speak right now, is still a Bournemouth player. Um, Arnab Danjuma, there, there's some high-quality players there that want to be playing at the highest level. And 
if Bournemouth can't get back there this year, then you do have to ask questions. You know, they, part of the pitch probably to those players will be, you know, help us get back up, and you know, then we'll see see what happens from there. But that that changes if if they don't achieve that, and parachute payments then then fall again. Bournemouth don't have the biggest ground, so then you're looking at uh, financial fair play again, and th- these are quite. That really does put an emphasis on getting up this year. So for, from Bournemouth's side, they're probably more inclined to write. If we're going to do it, we've got to go chips in now and, and really try. Um, obviously, they're in a bit of a bad blip at the moment, and what will matter is how they come out of that. You know, whether they come out of it stronger and can get on a run, because that this is the sort of time where you want to be pulling away and starting to build up that momentum to take you all the way up to to the Premier League. So. Um, I, you know, I, I think most clubs are trying to be cautious and I think that's the best way to do it um, right now I think it's if, if you can because of the, the uncertainty that, that surrounds all, all clubs you're not seeing transfers there's hardly any deals done with transfer fees uh, lots of loans so when you do see them they are, they are very unusual so I don't think Watford fans should feel like they're they're sort of on their own in this and it's something across the board and you know, there's some there's a lot of quality in that Watford squad anyway they kept some really key players there and regardless of I think they just need those there's one or two right additions and suddenly you'll, you'll, you'll be right up there anyway so it's, it's not just a Watford thing I think that's good to know we'll end on the end on the birthday boy then we'll end on on Dan Gosling if you could use one sentence to sum up the player that, that Watford have signed in Dan, Dan Gosling what what would it be passion and energy it's it's infectious with with Gosling and he's the kind of player that fans can really really get behind and uh, especially when he's playing and obviously <laughs> without supporters there you won't get to see it but from home you, you you should get that sense as well. A Watford FC podcast brought to you by the Athletic. This is from the Rookery End. So we've we've, we've highlighted a few things that need a, a bit a bit of work. Yeah, I'm going to say a bit of work and how we're feeling at the moment. The question is though, gentlemen, if we get some daringness as as Adam has sort of desired. If we get the, the work ethic and the, the the determination and ambition that Mike, you've sort of pointed out, is this gonna be a season truly where we're going to be top two? Or we, should we really start preparing ourselves for what is gonna be at best, a playoff run. Because I, I like to get myself ready for things and, just, and hope for the best. I, I'm, I'm not a man who, who wants to put the, the pressure on myself and my emotions. Top two feels like a long way away for me at the moment, just in terms of, if you look at Norwich, you look at Swansea and you look at Brentford, I think they feel like more complete sides. They, they offer more of a threat. They feel more comfortable in their own skin. They seem to be more consistent in scoring goals and in delivering decent results, both home and away. They feel better formed than Watford. The, the thing that Watford have got going for them is that they are still on the coattails of the top sides, by no means out of the shake-up for an automatic spot, despite being pretty abject for most of the season there's no way on earth that this team has clicked in any shape or form they've sort of by more by luck than judgment perhaps have managed to get enough points to be very very much in in touch if Dan Gosling comes in and he makes a difference. If Zinconagel starts playing games and, and, and it unlocks uh, the striking capabilities of our forwards, if Will Hughes is played in the centre and that in turn has, a, has, a, has an impact, if Messina and Kiko stay fit, then this team has the potential to be more than a match for virtually everyone in this division. I still believe that firmly. I, but on the flip side of that, I believe we're miles off 
where we need to be to, to make a, a, a decent tilt at automatic and then to go into the playoffs with the confidence and belief in each other to make a success of that because that's, you know, they're cup games and that's when you need to be on your metal. You need to be able to raise yourself. You know, Watford have played how many games this season and they haven't really looked like they've been able to do that. So I personally think we're miles off it at the moment. The league table is in our favour because we're we're close in terms of points without performing for 75% of the time, and that's being charitable. If we can get it right, if the pieces can click into place, then there is every every chance that this season could still be a memorable one. There's enough talent there to, to, for, to, to overcome the sort of fixtures we face. It's down to them. Adam, are you, are you preparing yourself for for just the playoffs and, and, and just getting through this season and, and, and some great moments will be the thing that will, will keep us there or thereabouts? I don't know. I really don't know. I have no real sort of understanding over the, the direction at the moment. Um, I'm not, I've not seen any sort of great development of, as we've touched upon in, in the side. And, and what Mike said about those, those other sides... You know, when you when you watch Norwich, when you watch Swansea, when you watch Brentford, you sort of go, "All oh, right, yeah, okay, I see, I see what they're doing here. This makes sense." And and similar to to Queens Park Rangers as well. But when you what one when you watch Watford, there are moments where you go, "Look, you can do it. Just do that more often. Please, just do that more often." It's it's a lot easier when you just do that, but you don't see it consistently enough. And there seems to be too much. I don't know, it's just like bad energy around at the moment. I'm not into sort of all that spiritual stuff particularly, but it just... You haven't got any moon rocks bad... around the house, Adam, no? Well, no, if I did, I'd probably chuck them at the TV last night. <laughs> um, I just think that, I don't know, that it just needs to be a shake-up. And if, if that performance against Queen's Park Rangers doesn't jolt them and there aren't some words said or there's some players dropped and they have to deal with it, then... You know, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just the, the lack of sleep that I've had <laughs> after doing a full full deadline day and the fact that it was just a sort of a really flat defeat. Maybe that sort of heightened the emotions today. Maybe I'll get a backlash on, on social media and, and, and whatever. But, you know, I just think they need to, they really do need to have a look at themselves and try and, and somehow get some unity together because at the end of it, they will, like Mike says, they only have themselves to blame because it is there for, for the taking in a way. Maybe not to get into the automatic promotion places because, as we've said, those other sides seem to be just a little bit more tuned in on what they're supposed to be doing. But just a little bit of galvanising force involved with this side, and they could get on the right road. But it is, da- it is down to them. They have to do it. And obviously... There's going to be analysis on what the head coach is doing at the moment. And he seems to have the motivation right, but we just have to wait to see if he's got the, the tactical nous to realise that what he is doing to people who have watched Watford for years and years and years and tactically and knowing the players as well, it's almost like, mate, they don't play there, play them there. And you just hope that he's sort of going to, that the penny is going to drop and then maybe they can sort of take the handbrake off and, and get back to playing some some half-decent football again. So it's easier for us to watch and maybe we can sort of be a bit more enthusiastic about about it on the podcast as well. 
Well, the road to well, the road to wherever is slowly getting shorter this season, uh, and it heads its way. I I want to say to Highfield Road, uh, but where where we go? It's Birmingham, isn't it? Birmingham City. That's where the Coventry fans would would rather it went to Highfield Road as well. (laughs) That's the next stop uh, for Watford, and uh, the game is early uh, on Saturday. Actually, can you hear that in the background? I think that's the sound of uh, Sky TV executives frantically trying to revoke their uh, decision to put Watford on. (laughs) TV ever again <laughs> well it will be uh, we hope uh, and uh, we'll be back for another podcast after that game against Coventry we're going to sort of try and, and get into the, the headspace of what the fans a little bit more in the next few days thank you very much Adam absolute pleasure gents look forward to being sent to Coventry on Saturday <laughs> <laughs> and thank you Mike no problem cheers oh, whatever happens just come on you horns The Athletic.